Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always, I am joined this time in the same country by Will Murden. How's it going today, Will? Yeah, good man. We might as well be the other side of the planet still. We're, we're not able to get together, but I, I can feel your presence is closer, so that has me excited. What's going on? Well, that's good. I'm glad my presence makes you excited. Uh, not too much, mate. Just trying to settle back into that whole work lifey thing, which I'm not loving at the moment, but I'm used to having lots of holidays. I didn't get these school holidays, so now I'm straight back into that grind. You know how it is. Yeah, I, I do know how not having holidays is. Like the rest of society who get just the four weeks rather than the 22 or whatever it is that you teachers get. 22. <laughs> that That is uh, quite a stretch. If we, You've jumped if we were to look you... closer Sorry. to 22 or four, where do you think it lands? Four. Okay. I obviously am well over uh, estimating... How many weeks you guys have? Yeah, well, I mean, we need it, dude. You wouldn't understand. You just would well, not get it. Okay, give uh, us a bit of a rundown about what you did at your job today. <laughs> oh, come on, the people want to hear. I went to the beach. <laughs> really? Sounds tough. What happened at the beach? Uh, we went for a surf, a um, bit of windsurfing, some paddleboarding, some kayaking. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Yeah, I can collectively hear all of our listeners saying, man, those teachers do do it tough. We should give them more holidays. Yeah, and more money. Thank you. I'm glad we cleared that up. Okay, now I'm not gonna, we're not going to labor on this point because we've got so much to get to today. Uh, our week seven recap show, yes, it is coming to you a little later than usual. Uh, we do apologize about that. This whole time difference thing, still getting my head around that. Uh, but we've got an extra show coming to you guys this week as well. So stay tuned for that one. We're going to deep dive on a few of the issues as we hit the mid-season point of season 2019. On top of that, we would also like to thank all our listeners. Um, we are hitting some really, really good numbers in terms of downloads and listenership and interest in the show. So we want to keep building that, but we also do want to say thank you to all those people that do listen. Make sure you do hit us up on Twitter or on Instagram at CFB Down Under, as per usual. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher or Spotify or your podcast app or iTunes or whatever it is. Leave a review. Uh, do all those usual things. Please, it really helps to get the show out there. Yeah, absolutely. Things are really building for us. So from where we're at last year to where we've come, it's been great. We're getting a lot more interest. So we certainly appreciate it, as you said. Uh, I am also looking forward to our mid-season show. So originally we were kind of hoping to get that out tomorrow night, but now it's looking like it'll be a Friday night deal, perhaps for the two of us. We can sit around, crack a few beers and just kind of talk about where the season has led us so far. Well, that sounds good because English Jess is out of the country at the moment. So we'll have a little bit of uh, man time, which would be nice. We can uh, get together and, and have a couple of sodas and uh, chew the fat, so to speak. Sounds good, man. All right. Now, we have got a monster lineup to get to. So we have got you know all the usual big takeaways from the week or the weekend of college football. We head to the vet again. We talk about a bit of an overreaction potentially for this particular week. Will's going to take us into some more detail there. We've got game recaps to get to, a lot of big games on a weekend where we thought scores might go sideways and some of them certainly did. On top of that, we've got some helmet stickers to give out. We've got Aussies in actions, bold predictions, and we are heading on the punt as well. So we are going to have to move at a hot clip tonight. That is a bloody lot. That is a lot. So why don't you start us off? Your general takeaways on a positive note, the, the, the area that gave you the most juice from week seven. So for mine, and this may be a little bit of a weird one for those out there, but it was George's loss that really got me going. And it's purely from my whole chaos uh, theory and desire for it to come to fruition. So I still rate Georgia as a very good team. I was very surprised to see them get done at home by South Carolina, who have been pretty underwhelming so far this year. So for them to go down really kind of throws a spanner in the potential works at the end of the year. If we have a scenario, and 
follow along with me here. LSU goes on, knocks over Alabama and makes it into the SEC championship game. Georgia go through untouched from where they are now and make it in. Then we have Georgia beat LSU. We've got one loss Georgia, one loss LSU, one loss Alabama, all around the marks in that. And then let's say we have, you know, some really good teams in the Big Ten, uh, the ACC champion, Clemson stays undefeated, Oklahoma stays undefeated. This all just builds for we need to have eight teams in this scenario. So that little upset there really helps that move that along, I feel. Absolutely. And I was going to save this for the Georgia-South Carolina recap, but I'm going to jump into it now because um, I 100% agree with you. We have, over the last couple of years, been so used to seeing the two teams out the top and, and Alabama and Clemson. The only games they're losing really are the games where they play each other. And those guys are far and ahead the best. Now, this isn't the norm in college football. It is recently, but before that, that's certainly not the case. Georgia has been trying to make the leap. And we kind of are considering Georgia certainly not up there with the top two, but the next team back and really the only games they're going to lose are going to be to probably Alabama or Clemson in a playoff, Those that sort of deal. Certainly not a South Carolina team with a backup quarterback who then got injured, so they're running their third-string quarterback. They're playing between the, the hedges in Athens, so it's a home game. That game, that upset, we haven't seen for a couple of years, and I 100% agree with you. I love the chaos of it, and that to me is what college football is all about, and we've finally had a game. We didn't get one at all last year, and we've got one this year already, which is great. Absolutely. So for you, what got you excited? Um, probably for me is the there's two ball clubs that are known for offense that at the moment are playing really good defense. And I, you know that I'm more of an offensive guy. I, I enjoy good defense, but it doesn't get me all hot and bothered quite like offense does. And, and those two teams are Oklahoma to start. They held Texas to 310 yards in the Red River shootout. Um, and this was a Texas team that was going over 460 per game. Uh You've got some fantastic defensive players, whether it's Neville Gallimore. You've got Kenneth Murray. Um, you know, uh, who else? The, on the back end, they've got DeLaren Turner-Yell, who was fantastic on the weekend specifically. But Alex Grinch has got to be really, really happy with how that defense is going. Uh, and to get nine sacks on the day and then keep that Longhorns offense kind of at arm's length all day, you know, they've got to be thinking really, really positive. They're not just going to have to win games by scoring 50 points every week. And who's the other one? The second team is Oregon. And they held Colorado to under 300 yards this week. They pick off um, Stevie Montez four times and they concede just three points. In the last five games, yes, some of their competition is a bit average, but they've conceded six, three, six, seven, and three points. So Andy Avalos has got to be really, really happy with how his Ducks defense is going as well. And those two teams are not just offensive firepower anymore. They are producing some stout defensive performances and it's really important to be able to win in multiple ways and those two teams are doing that which is fantastic for them yeah i agree with you wholeheartedly on your call here mate um oregon i read during the week uh you know at the right at the top for a number of different defensive metrics so they are an elite defensive unit from what we've seen so far which is really really impressive from what we historically know oregon provide but also they are traveling at tempo they're still having a a whole volume of plays because that can often be what skews these sorts of things where you've got a team that is run heavy maybe like a wisconsin and there's just simply not as many opportunities for the other team to kind of run up numbers against them because they don't have possession of the ball for very long across a, a game so same there, and I agree with the other one, uh, Oklahoma. In Alex Grinch, I did not see where all the hype was in the offseason. Like, there were a lot of people who were writing and saying, yeah, he's a huge hire and he's, he's one to certainly watch out for, but I didn't quite understand why. Obviously, I don't know the guy from a bar of soap, but from everything that I'd seen from his career arc, I was like, there's nothing really special in here, but he certainly proved those guys right and me wrong where he has had a big impact on that defense 
For sure. So hopefully those two defenses can can keep those things going. And and from an Oregon standpoint, Mario Cristobal, who's an offensive line guy and said he was going to bring a hard-nosed attitude to Oregon, appears to have done that. So well done to him and his staff. All right, lay down Sally time. Who do you have? Who was the biggest disappointment for you over week seven? To be perfectly honest with you, there wasn't anything that really stood out. So I'm not going to go after and try and find someone to put them down. It was... Uh, an eventful week of college football, but there was nothing really that stood out. There's a few injuries around the place that were a little bit disappointing. There's a few ref decisions that I've noticed at both, well, very much at the NFL level, but then kind of at the college level, I'm thinking mainly that Texas Tech-Baylor game that have an impact on the game, and I never like to see that. But on the whole, it was a great week of college football. We had the upsets, we had good teams doing what they should be doing it was it was really enjoyable stuff so you're laying down you're you're putting this lay down sally in lay down sally segment yeah absolutely i am throwing the oars in the river and having a bit of a snooze all right well for me uh, we've probably harped on about this but like you said there, there was probably limited fodder here i suppose but i'm gonna say perhaps not for the first time but the michigan school's the Wolverines are broken on offense still and they required a little bit of a spark in that last quarter to get over a mediocre Illinois team. And and I know you've got to look through the lens of where Michigan is at this season and, and this was a team coming into the year that was supposed to be pushing for the playoff. They are not doing that. On the other side of that is uh, Michigan State and the Spartans did not even give a yelp against Wisconsin. Uh, they, you know, I know their offense is historically bad, but you've got to do, so, you've got to be able to put up some points at some stage. And uh, I don't know how much deeper I'll go into this, probably not during the recap of the Wisconsin game, but this was a, a team that completely, re- they didn't fire anyone, they completely restructured their staff and moved linebacker coaches to tight end coaches and running back coaches to defensive back coaches and all this sort of stuff. But the result is the same. And that is that Michigan State can't score. Their offense is terrible and they need to have a long, hard look. And I know you're a big um, D'Antonio fan, but they need to have a look at what's going on offensively because they're a mess at the moment. Yeah, I I tend to agree that they are not doing enough offensively. I mean, that's certainly the case. But if you look at their schedule and who they've played so far, I mean, they've gone Wisconsin, uh, Ohio State the last two weeks. They've also had road trips to Northwestern and played against a good Arizona State team so far this year. I don't think there's a team in the nation who has had as hard a record as they had. So it's easy to pile on them, but... They could simply they could be in a similar situation to someone like Minnesota if they've had that record, and I think it's probably a little unfair to be that critical just based on who they've come up against because they were four and one before they faced two of the best teams in the country. But they didn't score. Like the offense sucks. Like yeah. that is my biggest issue. Like yeah, and, and I guess that. But there are probably thirty teams in the country who would struggle to score against Ohio State and Wisconsin. Yeah, uh, I feel like someone's putting up a score somewhere. Anyway, let us move on. Over, I mean, the takeaway message from this is that it was a really positive, enjoyable week of college football. So that is great. Uh, okay, now this is a new segment that you want to talk about. So you're going to have to talk about this overreaction concept, William. Yes, so I kind of want to... Take away from the weekend uh, a bit of a theme or a bit of a consensus that's been thrown out there and I want to look at this overreaction and then have you dissect it and, and take a side. So I don't want you sitting on the fence. I want you to pick that you're either with it or against it and then give us a bit of an argument as to why you feel that way. So for this one, I am throwing out there that on the back of their victory against Florida, and uh, victory over Texas earlier in the year as well. LSU, along with Alabama, are the top two teams in the country. Is that an overreaction or warranted at this state? Uh, I think that's absolutely warranted. 
I think, I mean, Alabama speaks for itself. I'm not going to address that one uh, to the point where I almost stopped watching Alabama games because they're just that good. But LSU, to me, you're talking about the number one offense in the country. They're balanced. They're dynamic. They can score quickly. They can run the ball. Their offensive line is stout. And actually, I mean, we know that LSU defense is always really, really good. But probably coming in, we were hearing so much more about the Florida defense and how they were the the shining light and probably the number one uh, unit on the field and and could this LSU offense actually score against them? As it turned out, it was the LSU defense that would probably actually outplayed their opponent and and the counterpart in that in the Florida defense. So I am buying up big on LSU. I was off them last year. I thought they were overrated and and as much as I thought that last year, I'm the other way this year. I believe very strongly in Ed Orgeron's team. Uh, I have been really, really impressed with um, Justin Jefferson at wide receiver. Jamal Chase had a really, really good game. And the little surprise packet for me is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at running back to go along with Joe Burrows. And then, of course, you've got Joe Delper. Uh, sorry, Grant Delper on the defensive side leading a really, really good LSU defense. So I 100% buy, and you could make an argument that LSU is the top team in the country. Okay, yeah. And I mean, obviously, those are all fair points that you have there. I think that they are a very good team as well. Personally, on my side of it, I prefer the the look of Ohio State at this stage. Uh, I would have Wisconsin in the conversation. I'd throw Clemson. I'm, I'm certainly not dropping them off. So if I had to choose uh, LSU versus that group, I'm, I'm taking one out of that group, I suppose. So I think to, to throw them out there and say, yeah, they're top two is, is probably an overreaction. But I like where you're coming from, Matt. That's good. And, and there's plenty more to play out. And, and hopefully we see these. I mean, we will. We'll see these big matchups. Um, gee, an Ohio State LSU game would be really exciting to watch. So, wouldn't it? That would be a good. One. All right. Moving along. Uh, so, we'll continue to hit that one, actually, and, and see if that overreaction is justified, warranted, or, you know, where we sit on some of these media issues that come out around college football. Next, we are off to the vet. Yes, so I have uh, a pet seminal this uh, week. So Fl- Florida State uh, on the back of a very disappointing outing against Clemson. I mean, I don't think anyone was really surprised. It was probably where the line was at, but my poor pet seminal has not been looking good for the last couple of years now. Uh, used to be an absolute beast, was was just a machine and someone I was proud of that I could take around to my friends and they were like, yeah, that, that Seminole's badass. But now I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed about my Seminole. So, Mr. Vet, can you please give me a prognosis on where things are at and what I've got to look forward to in the future? Yeah, and... I don't know if this should come with a disclaimer. This has been running this segment for a long time. So if you're a first-time listener, maybe listen back to how we treated the Wolverine and the Gator in previous episodes. Um, But for me, in terms of the Seminoles and Florida State, I do not trust this team one little bit. Uh, They brought in – I mean, we'll start with the offense, but they brought in Kendall Bryles over from uh, Houston. He was the offensive coordinator, obviously – from the Art Bryles School of How to Score Points Really Quickly at Baylor. And he was putting up big numbers there at Houston. We constantly hear, oh, what happens if the air raid moves from a talent-rich team or from a talent-poor team to a talent-rich team? So, for example, the Washington States, the Texas Techs of the world who can't recruit the heavy hitters, what happens if you put an air raid with the freak athletes that you get at the powerhouses? What's happened is nothing, actually. Uh those offenses are run to even the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And it's shown that this offense just isn't really clicking yet on all levels. Cam Akers has been a freak. Tamarian Terry is a fantastic wide receiver and appears to be like a number one guy at the next level. He's tall and rangy. They're pretty or two very bright spots on an otherwise very spotty offense that they're able to score at times and score quickly but then they just go 
away completely. Can't put up yards, uh, can't move the ball. They go three and out very quickly. James Blackman is inconsistent at quarterback. They've had Alex Hornibrook in there at times, and actually the offense has looked better under the lefty than it has under James Blackman. The offensive line was really bad, and then it got a little bit better, and now it's worse again. So I've got no faith in that offensive line either. The defense is historically bad. They lost Brian Burns last year on the edge uh, from an edge rusher perspective. But the interior of that defensive line is really, really good. But it's not even them. It's the linebackers and their fits on run plays. They're constantly out of position. Gap integrity appears to be optional in this defense, and I don't trust Willie Taggart. As an overall takeaway message, Willie Taggart is not someone that I believe in. So as long as he is there, I would be not holding much confidence in the Seminoles to pull this thing out. They could set themselves on a path to mediocrity a la the Miami Hurricanes. And I think it's bad for college football when both of those two Florida teams uh, mid-ACC teams. And that's the reality at the moment. I don't trust the Seminoles. I don't trust Willie Taggart. They're in trouble for me. Yeah, and I mean, I'm super disappointed with my little pet Seminole here, but I think you're probably fair. that The writing has been on the wall for a little while. I think you wanted to give Willie Taggart some time to turn this ship around, but we haven't seen positive signs. As you mentioned, they have playmakers. They have some studs on the field and you should be able to get some life going when you have that level of talent. You, you need to kind of rise the rest of the team up a little bit so that they're executing and doing what they need to do and then let your playmakers ball. But you just don't see it. You, you've kind of, you're relying on those guys to do all the heavy lifting and everyone else thinks that they can kind of freelance and do their own stuff because maybe they believe their own hype. I don't know what it is, but there's enough talent from the second rung down, you just don't see it. They act like a really undisciplined kind of messy unit. So until something happens, and it has to be from a coaching level, I would have thought, you're not going to see them return to prominence because the longer you struggle, the harder it is to recruit. The harder it is to recruit, the, the worse things can potentially get for them. So For, sh- for sure. And and I think you look at you look at – the really well-disciplined, well-oiled machines in college football and they've got longevity. And you look at – I mean, I constantly go to Wisconsin, but you can take Iowa in that. You can take Ohio State. You can take uh, Alabama, whoever you want. Those well-oiled, disciplined, direction-strong, ethics-strong, philosophy-strong ball clubs are going well. The gimmicks – aren't holding up in college football at the moment. Um, they'll keep, they'll hang you around in games or keep you involved in games, but over the course of a season, it's just not cutting the mustard. Well, yeah. I mean, you need a, a culture and a philosophy that you buy into. So I wouldn't necessarily say gimmicks, but like even an Oklahoma State, uh, as an example, is they have a philosophy. They know what they're about and they do that very well. And that's had them as a 10-win team, you know, eight of the last 10 years or something. So... We just don't know the identity of Florida State. They were all, – all their identity now is that they used to be a good team and that's it. Yep, yep, and that's dangerous world to live in. Okay, let's get into some game recaps uh, because we've got a really exciting uh, week to talk about. So let's start with – Potentially the biggest game of the weekend, Texas-Oklahoma in the Red River shootout. This one is kicking off early, as it seems to do. It was 10-3 at halftime, but then blew out to a 34-27 Oklahoma win. There was a late score by Texas to close that gap to within a touchdown. Uh, Jalen Hurts turned the ball over twice in the first half. And they weren't great turnovers either. He was throwing the ball up for grabs and did so on more than one occasion. Uh, The fumble was on a long run as well. But, I mean, there wasn't a lot of scoring in the first half. I was probably expecting a little bit more. That didn't happen. But Oklahoma were moving the ball effectively compared to the Longhorns. And that Texas offense really, really struggled to get a hold of that sooner pass rush. Uh, Jalen Hurts, Kennedy Brooks are really, really good on the ground. And we kind of said it in the preview, if Oklahoma can get that run game going and control the flow of the match or this particular matchup, they are going to have success and they've done that. And I know you asked me about Lincoln Riley and his offense and maybe we'll talk about that 
uh, on Friday's episode. But I'm doing a bit more of a deep dive, this isn't a surprise for me. Um, and then when they executed that flea flicker, it opened up the game completely and Texas kind of fell away. The other person that I must mention is C.D. Lamb because he was outstanding and was doing some really freakish things in terms of breaking tackles, making plays after the catch. Uh, But, I mean, again, impressed by Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts, probably his worst performance of the year, but still a really, really good job. I mean, he was good. And uh, Oklahoma move on. Yeah. I mean, when your worst performance is, what, 235 through the air with three touchdowns and a pick, and then also 130 on the ground and an average of seven and a half a carry uh, and a touchdown. I mean, yeah, he, he did also give up the fumble, but you take that. I mean, that's that's still mm. solid. So it speaks to how good he has been. And in the fantasy segment, we spoke about CD Lamb and this was him showcasing that. I think he listened into the episode and he's like, fucking A, these guys believe in me. I am going to, I'm going to really show people what I've got because of the support that I've had from the college football down under crew. So he went nuts. He had 10 of their 16 receptions. Yep. So he and like they were keying on to him. They had, they were double covering him. It didn't matter. It was insane how effective he was able to be. 10 catches, 171 yards and three touchdowns. He's a difference in this game. Like as simple as that, Texas really took it to him. It was close. We were kind of debating whether it was going to be Oklahoma blowing them out or Texas keeping it close in a rivalry. It ended up being close, but probably could have been the other way if that late touchdown, you know, had have happened. So it, it kind of went a little as expected, but that's only because C.D. Lamb decided to put a Superman cape on. Yeah, and Oklahoma continue to seem to get it in these big rivalry matchups. I know Texas got it last year with Dicker the kicker, uh, but Oklahoma v. Oklahoma State, and and it seems like Oklahoma have had the wood over Texas recently. Uh, so another good win for them. But, I mean, this will probably be the matchup in the Big 12 championship game. Oh, there's. I think the Big 12's wide open, to be perfectly honest. I think Iowa State are looking good again. Uh, Baylor obviously haven't lost, although they haven't played all that much away from home Sick yet. Sick and bears. I, I, I wouldn't rule out Oklahoma State, even though they've got the two losses there. I think that Oklahoma are probably looking like they're the cream of the crop and then the next best team could come from a number of different challenges because it's quite a deep and talented group this year. Yeah, well, a, a really uh, entertaining game overall. And uh, yeah, the the Sooners move on and stay undefeated. Texas will be licking their wounds and looking to bounce back and get to that Big 12 championship game. Okay, moving on to LSU and Florida. So the Gators head down to Baton Rouge, a night game. Obviously, a really, really tough ask of the Gators, especially with a backup quarterback starting. But this game was tied 21 at the half and it took uh, a pretty good, well, a combination of things on, on in the second half in that the LSU defense stood up and on top of that, the LSU offense, you know, continued to execute whilst Florida kind of sputtered down the line a fraction. Uh, but... To me, they've made a claim as a playoff contender and and potentially that you know best team in the nation. But to me, the Florida defense was a massive disappointment. They failed to generate a sack or a turnover, and they gave up over 500 yards to the LSU offense. We've already mentioned Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who both had really really good games. Joe Burrow's had another three touchdowns. If you're saying Ohio State. I'm going to counter that with LSU. A really, really good win for them, 42-28. to 28. Yeah, I mean, you're right that it was a good win. I would kind of put forward that Florida were in a much tougher spot. Obviously, they're on the road. They'd had a big matchup against Auburn the week before. They've had two, you know, uh, nationally televised game of the weeks in a row a lot of energy and you could see in that second half it, it almost got to them like that they were kind of gassed from a I don't know if it's an emotional standpoint or whatever it is but it it all caught up to them and LSU were able to charge away I mean they'd had what the buy the week before so they'd had an extra extra time to prepare for it they 
you could see that they were able to execute on everything that they wanted to do offensively. And, and that's why you weren't able to, that Florida weren't able to get those turnovers or put enough pressure on the quarterback. A lot of it was all about the preparation into that game and, and the lead ups that the two teams had had. So I still have a lot of respect for Florida on that. I know the, the score line probably doesn't look very pretty at 42 to 28. They did concede a lot, but 21 all at the half, they were looking like a, a real shake to almost take it from them. And then it all kind of caught up to them a bit. So I think LSU are a very good team, but still do have a lot of respect for Florida. So if you're a Florida fan or Dan Mullen for that matter, are you satisfied with that with that kind of game? Is that a is that a not a like moral victory or an okay loss because you never accept losing, but are you kind of okay with that and think that Florida's still heading in the in the right direction or are these are they just going to be like again that next tier down and they're not going to quite get there against the LSU's, Bama's, Georges of the world? I I think you're not satisfied with it. You want to win those ones, but then you also need to be a little bit realistic in life in the SEC. And there's times where you play these teams at home uh, and you get a bit of a better run with your lead up to the big matchups, off weeks, all of that sort of stuff. And that plays into it. And and this just yeah. happened to be a tough one for Florida where they had two top 10 matchups in a row. They were able to get the win against a very good Auburn team. And then they went to one of the most hostile environments in all of college football and then really hung up with them for the first half. So you're not happy with it, but you kind of are looking at it going, I'm pumped about our future with where we're at as the program because we can match it with essentially anyone in the country. And if, if they're coming to our house, then we're confident we can knock them off in that scenario. Yeah, all right. Sounds good. Let's move to the Big Ten. This was a ranked matchup, but perhaps fell a little bit flat or maybe if you're into a defensive contest, Penn State and Iowa. Iowa in the all-yellow unis. Uh, which I didn't love their kind of wave to the hospital at three-quarter time, is it, or quarter time, continues to be one of the highlights of the college football season. Um, But Penn State get away from this one with a 17-12 victory. I don't know how I feel about this one. I think Iowa's offense is terrible. They've scored like two touchdowns in the last two games, which is not good, especially when the offensive coordinator is the son of the head coach. That's not a great look. Uh, Penn State continue to win in different ways. We spoke about it a little bit earlier with Oregon uh, and Oklahoma and the fact that they potentially have got a defense that can support an offense. Penn State have done that as well. In ga- at times this year, they've put up yards and put up points to win games. This one, they relied on that defense and particularly that defensive front to get a lot of pressure uh, and put Nate Stanley under a whole lot of duress to the point where he at times forced the ball into coverage, got picked off. Uh, the, the other note is that freshman Noah Kane is a, I believe, a Florida running back. Uh, he's a he's a first-year player and a really good one. They should be starting him at the running back position moving forward. Does this tell us anything about Iowa or Penn State, more importantly, as an undefeated team in the Big Ten? It probably just tells us where these two programs are at. So Iowa are Iowa. They are a very reliable, steady, disciplined unit that are going to make everyone that they come up against fight for every yard that they have. And Penn State are a good team. And they went in there to uh, a difficult Iowa stadium and executed a game plan. They ran the ball 53 times whilst only passing at 24. So they obviously knew what they were about, what they wanted to do against this Iowa team. They wanted to control the ball. They wanted to have uh, momentum on their side, I suppose. They wanted to dictate the tempo of the game. They knew that their quarterback, Sean Clifford, was potentially facing one of the better defences that they'd come up against. So they tried to limit what he had to do. And and he played very much within himself, I feel. Uh, so what the result of that was a fairly uninspiring spectacle. But Penn State were able to do what they needed to do and get the win, which is great for them. And now they get college game day. They do, which I don't love that call. It should have gone to Minnesota. <laughs> but anyway... 
Uh huh. All right. Georgia and South Carolina. Now, this was the upset that we've spoken about of the week and probably of the last two years. The number three team in the country lose at home 20 to 17 in double overtime. Uh, and we've talked a lot about this and the chaos factor already, but. It was a 42-yard field goal attempt by Rodrigo Blankenship, who is probably the most well-known kicker in college football. Um, but he slides it past the left upright to give the Gamecocks an unlimited I don't know where I sit with this one. I was, to me, this is the sort of game I thought Jake from may produce at some point. And I, I'm going to ask you a question here, and you can feel free to slaughter it because I'm trying to... I'm unsure whether I'm trying to justify my own opinion or whether it's actually got any basis in fact whatsoever. But is there a problem with the Georgia offense and more specifically the quarterback position? Now, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have Jake from at Miami and he's really safe with the ball. I, you know, it's not like he turns the ball over. He doesn't. Yeah, he turned it over four times in this game, but that's unheard of. This was his first interceptions for the year, so let's not get too carried away here. He's smart. He's He makes good decisions, gets through his progressions effectively. He's a really pro-style, effective quarterback. But this is also an offense that couldn't find room for Justin Fields, and he has gone from a second-string quarterback to a Heisman contender in the space of like six months. So is there an issue here with this Georgia offense? Uh, I don't believe so, no. I think this is one of those games that just happens at the college level when things aren't going for your team. I mean, those interceptions, did you have you seen them on film? I know yeah. at the, the very least the last one, he hit the dude square in the yeah. hands and he's coughed it up in overtime, which is unforgivable that that ain't on him uh other stuff he's, the he's first one plays. wasn't great yeah yeah but that that happens that's his first on the year yeah i mean yeah. before this they're they're averaging you know around 40 points a game or something it's not as if we're talking about a team that is struggling to score more than three touchdowns a game they they can get it going they have an elite offensive line you might want to see a little bit more i suppose i mean the Notre Dame game was played tight and they weren't able to blow that away but i think everyone kind of respected that Notre Dame defense and outside of that one we haven't really seen what Notre Dame have got they they ran it close with USC this week and we know that they're kind of a bit undermanned at the moment so it's it's not a great call because Georgia are still a very, very good football team. Yes, this is a very, very surprisingly crazy <laughs> upset, but they are good. Jake Fromm is very good. I still am not a huge believer in his, of his, and I don't know what it is that makes me feel that way. I don't know if it's because I watched, uh, what is it, Behind the Lights, QB1 on uh, – uh, Netflix and just all of those kids give me the shits. I think that's just like 17-year-old <laughs> kids just give me the shits. So I don't know. I, like, But to be fair, of all the kids that I've seen on that show, he's probably one of the better ones. Like well, that's, why teachers guys, need to be, that's why teachers need to be paid well, mate. You get the shits yeah. from the 17-year-old kids. Like, no, when, I, hey, there is that. I will not put up an argument against that. You should get at least a couple extra weeks to deal with the stress <laughs> that those little shits put on you. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean uh, – yeah. The numbers and the numbers don't support my belief at all. I've had a look at them. I'm trying to find some sort of statistical justification for is there an issue at Georgia and like is it that their strength of schedule is not that great and and it's not. I mean they beat Tennessee and they've beaten Vandy and the other teams they've played aren't that great whether it's Murray State or Arkansas State or whoever they've played this year but – there's not a lot of measures that help me. Their red zone success is good. Their total offense is good. Scoring offense, yards per play, they're getting what they need. I mean, they're 55th in third down conversions. Who like? Okay, that's the one area where they could probably tighten up a little bit, but it's not a big deal. If Georgia can continue to execute at a high level, they'll win. I don't think there's any any kind of question around that. It's to me, I think it's the lack of explosion, and we've seen it from Alabama. It's not. Georgia are playing an SEC-type offensive style from seven, eight, nine years ago. LSU aren't. Alabama aren't. 
they're moving on and having success with the still, you know, really good defense, but then these kind of more explosion plays. And with the loss of Mirko Hardman or Nick Chubb or whoever it is and a range of other things, they're not getting the explosion, the explosive plays that I would expect maybe from such a good offense. And I just don't see them holding up at an elite level. I feel about Georgia the way I felt about LSU last year. I wasn't big on them. There's something just not quite right. To me, they don't pass the eye test. I don't have a lot of statistical evidence to back that up, but there's just something not quite right. Yeah, you are clutching at straws a bit, I feel here, mate. Let me throw this oh, massively. This hypothetical at you that I am kind of pondering. So do you think it's more likely that the result happened because South Carolina were just a better team on the day or did the Indian bookmaker get involved? And maybe that's the play here. Because what's more likely? Yeah. I think it's more. I think it's more likely that Hansi Kronje did come back from the dead and have an impact on this game. I still think George is very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that they're not. And part of this is not trying to be backlash from the South Carolina game. I haven't been big on Jake from all year, and I haven't been big on the Georgia offense all year, despite their scoring proficiency but there's just and i i'm struggling to justify and that's where it's a it's a bullshit argument if you can't justify it it doesn't hold any water so i'm trying to steer out of it a little bit but there's just something to me that and we'll see it if georgia do go through and make the sec championship game which they possibly still will then you know it's gonna be Interesting to see if that holds up or, you know, maybe they face a Florida team that gets a hold of them. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I think I'm just trying to get on the record first and say that if Georgia drops their bundle completely, that I that I said it first. Okay, cool. So you are pro-LSU, anti-Georgia, and then we can hold you to that for the rest of the year. Excellent. That, that is perfect. And I was the opposite last year, so I'm happy to eat crow when that happens but i didn't last year so go me anyway let's move on to the other games pack 12 action oregon destroyed colorado 45 to 3 justin herbert and cj vidal were effective for the ducks but nothing too crazy out of them because justin herbert is only really good and not excellent uh feel free to jump in at any stage here william as well yeah i will i mean i would just say top 10 pick but yep okay cool tony jones puts up 176 Yards on the ground to lead the fighting Irish over USC. Now, that is not Chompers, Tony Jones. That is the Notre Dame running back. But they get over USC 30-27. to That looks closer than it was. Notre, uh, USC scored a late touchdown to cover. But I didn't feel like it was ever that close despite the play of Keaton Slovis and the USC secondary, which continue to be good combined with Notre Dame's inability to pass the ball beyond 10 yards. Yeah, 17 to 3 at the half wasn't really uh, in the game, USC. So they really need to get something going. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough. They, they don't have the quarterback that they, we thought that they were going to have. They don't, yeah, they've, they've burnt through too many of those guys for us to reasonably expect more from them at this point against teams like Notre Dame. So it's a tough spot to be in. Okay, Utah show Oregon State that the Beavers have got a long way to go before being considered in the Pac-12 or considered relevant. The Utes win 52-7. to Did you see Zach Moss's stat line? Yeah, big day out, five carries. <laughs> five carries, 120 yards and two touchdowns. Thank you very much. It's a good way of doing business, isn't it? They're not wear and tear. You go, you go to your NFL uh, interviews and they're like, oh, how's the body feeling? I'm like, yeah, pretty good. Pretty, <laughs> pretty good. good. Pretty good. I had to sprint for a period of time there, but no one touched me. Anyway, uh, we suggested that this one would be entertaining, and that is Arizona State and Washington State, 38-34. Uh, Jaden Daniels gets in on a uh, John Elway-type helicopter run into the end zone to put Arizona State in front for good. Yeah, you fucked me here. 
I, I really enjoyed this game because I've, I had it on the punt and it was backwards and forwards. It, it was good fun to watch, but your commentary and lead up to this would the, is that it would get weird and that you would steer clear of it on the punt and that you'd be crazy to bet on it. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. I'm taking Washington State. And then it was crazy and it was weird and it was good fun and I ended up on the wrong fucking side. So, yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. All right, Washington, Manhandle, Arizona, 51-27. Uh, but Washington sort of need results to start going their way in the Pac-12 for them to make the championship game at this point, I think. Uh, no, they'll be they'll be right. The Pac-12's uh, all over the shop. A hot mess. Well, Washington have dropped two now, though, uh, with Oregon to play. Have they played Oregon yet? Who knows? But they, you, you have a, four, a four-loss championship. Uh, championship contender there I reckon <laughs> okay let's move on to the ACC NC State beat Syracuse in a really boring one uh, 16 to 10 Syracuse may be the biggest disappointment in the whole country this year as they move to 0-2 in conference when they were ranked to start the season yeah I mean Maryland uh, would be right up there with them only after whooping Syracuse so I suppose <laughs> they, Syracuse have got to have that mantle because if you're looking at Maryland well, they put a beat down on Syracuse, so yeah. yeah. Not a good one. Miami beat Virginia seventeen to nine in a bit of a gross one. I feel like this Virginia lost this one in the same fashion that Miami have been losing games in the recent years, in that Virginia probably actually dominate or not dominated, but certainly controlled the game and and were the better team on the night, but just couldn't put the ball in the end zone. Miami's offense continues to be good scripted. So first drives of the games are really, really good. Outside of that, it's a hot mess under Dan Enos. Clemson decided that that had enough and just to beat the crap out of Florida State, 45-14. to 14. Yeah, that's what we can expect from them. They're, they're a good team. Yeah. Wake Forest dropped their first game of the year to Louisville. Uh, they scored 28 points in the last quarter, but it wasn't enough to beat the Cards, and they outlast the Deeks 62-59. to 59. Possibly the most improved team in all of college football, uh, Louisville. They are, and currently, again, still control their own destiny in the ACC Atlantic. Duke beats Georgia Tech 41-23. to Who cares? Virginia Tech beats Rhode Island as well. Across in the Big 12, it was a bit of a quiet day for the Big 12, actually, with only three games going on. Baylor finally get over the top of a pesky Texas Tech in overtime. The Bears remain undefeated 30-33, to and we are all aboard Baylor and the boys from Waco. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Anything to take away apart from a questionable referee call? You are setting yourself up for heartache if you're getting on board the Baylor train and, and buying into that one this year, my friend. Uh, they... They're not bad. They're, they're a good team, but they ain't anything special, certainly. So they were at home against an average Texas Tech team. I mean, I watched them beat Oklahoma State. At home. Playing at, <laughs> yeah, at home, playing <laughs> as poorly as they could. Uh, so Baylor are only ranked 22 uh, with a 6-0 and start. Probably gives you a pretty good indication as to their schedule to date. A win is a win, my friend. A win yeah. is a win. Keep on going. Uh, Iowa State blowout West Virginia 38-14 to and West Virginia, geez, you no idea what you're going to get for, from them week to week. Uh, but Iowa State probably solidify themselves as a good team in the Big 12 now. Can they Starting be considered? Can they be considered not a, uh, a, a kind of, you know, they'll get you when you're not concentrating and they'll... They'll float around, but really, they're a bit like Texas Tech. You know, like Texas Tech, are like yeah, they'll they'll get you at times, but really, they're a six and seven team. <laughs> no, I think under Matt Campbell, they have taken a step above that level that you're talking about there. Yeah. So they have they've had two really tight losses in uh, the one against Iowa and Baylor. I mean, you kind of got to win those ones to become a really good team. They're the step down from that, but the step up from all oh, they're a tough out at Ames. Yeah, they're, they're somewhere in there. This is a good team. Yeah, this is a good team. All right, SEC Alabama keep on rolling this time against Texas A and M forty seven to twenty eight. The usual suspects were at it again with Tagovailoa and Devonta Smith. I didn't watch this one. Did you catch this, which was supposed to be somewhat competitive? I don't know how Texas A&M continue to stay ranked. I just don't think they're that good. 
Yeah, they, they've had some pretty tough matchups. So I think the fact that they're getting beat pretty convincingly, but they're playing really good teams. They're like, oh, we just won't move them. You know, that would happen to anyone ranked in the 20s. Yeah. So we'll just leave them there. I didn't watch it. I'm a little bit like you. I'm going to wait for a, a bit of a juicier matchup to watch Alabama because, quite frankly, it's pretty boring, pretty one-sided. I mean, Texas A&M have now played the number one team in the country twice this year. Uh, yeah, tell me when they beat the number one team twice. <laughs> Okay. Tennessee. Go Vols. They finally come to the party with a win against Mississippi State. Uh 20 to 10 in that one. Have you seen the QB box score in this game? I, I have not. But the fact that, you know, we're celebrating Tennessee beating Mississippi State in such like a, a manner like that is not a good sign for that program. It's not. I mean, Mississippi State have got to be incredibly disappointed with that. They have put up some good games so far this year, but, uh, you know, that Tennessee team is a hot mess. And Why have we got four quarterbacks playing? Yeah. I, have you got the box score open? I've just, I've just brought it up. Four quarterbacks playing. Four quarterbacks playing. The best of them... Went six of seven, 106 yards and a touchdown. That's not too bad by Jarrett Guarantano. But, I mean, the Mississippi State quarterbacks went 11 of 21 for one touchdown, three interceptions. And then you can throw Brian Maurer in there, who got his first start last week. He went four of seven. So no quarterback threw over 11 passes. I mean, what a shit show. Yes, yes. Uh, Let's not dwell on this. Crappy game. Vandy got done by UNLV, thirty-four to ten. That's a blowout. And UNLV have at times been the worst team in FBS football, so that's not a good look for Vandy. Missouri stays undefeated yeah, just, in S. It is Sorry. a lot harder to get into Vandy than it is UNLV, though. I'll throw that out there. <laughs> True. Um, Missouri stays undefeated in SEC play with a win against Old Miss, thirty-eight to twenty-seven. They just keep chugging along. So, again, we're all aboard the Tigers from Missouri uh, to go along with our Bears at Baylor and the Golden Gophers, who we'll get to in a second. Kentucky beat Arkansas 24-21, and Lynn Bowden Jr. gets a start at quarterback. He's a not a quarterback, but he does things that he needs to do, and they beat the Pigs. Uh, in the Big Ten... We have got Wisconsin crushing Michigan State. We've sort of talked about this, uh, but they get over that one 38-0. Michigan beat Illinois, but less than convincingly, 42-25. Indiana crushed Rutgers, 35-0. Maryland have gotten worse somehow. They get slapped around by a very mediocre Purdue team, 40-14. And Minnesota are in a race, as the aforementioned Minnesota Golden Gophers, are in a race with Wisconsin for the Big 12 West after their absolute beatdown against Nebraska, 34-7 to in the snow. Yeah. Nothing on nothing on the Golden Gophers, Will. No. Nothing I mean, on the Golden Gophers. No, I think they're in a similar boat to Baylor. They haven't played anyone yet. But I'm happy they're ranked now. Okay, cool. All right, Boise State beat Hawaii 59-37. to I can't remember if that means we get to pick. No, we're not picking in the top echelon now, are we? We're, we're not. No, below that. unfortunately, I'm 10-25. to 10-25. to 25. Is it your pick first in the championship draft it this is, week? It is, yes. Oh, zing. Uh, Temple beat Memphis. I'm going to say I sort of picked this one uh, on our bold predictions. This was one that I highlighted as things could get away. There was an interesting phantom holding call in this game that somehow gave Temple extra life, uh, but they get this one 30-28. And you will be happy that your Cincinnati Bearcats get over Houston 38-23 to pretty convincingly. They're a good team. Despite, yeah, I mean, they were. And I was, cons- I was concerned about their ability to back it up, but they've done so really, really nicely. That takes us through all the games. I don't think there's anything else you need to touch on there, Will. Uh, just one last one. App State played on the Thursday night over there, uh, and they remain un- undefeated as well. So they beat the Louisiana Raging Cajuns 17-7. to Yeah, and, uh, and the uh, Louisiana team have got a really, really good offense as well, by the way, and, and that App State team shut them down. 
Uh, Eli Drinkwitz is doing a fantastic job taking over from Scott Satterfield, who continues to do a good job at Louisville. So all things going in the right directions for the Mountaineers. Okay, it is helmet sticker time. Will, take me through who put up some good numbers this weekend. Okay, I will. This week I'm not giving a helmet sticker to Anthony Gordon. Yes, you did put up 466 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions, but you threw the ball 64 times. You should be doing that. And you didn't win, so I'm off you. Uh, we'll start with Jack Abram at uh, University of Southern Mississippi. They played North Texas. They had a win. He was really good. Uh, he had 420 yards and three touchdowns. We also had Patrick O'Brien at Colorado State, another prolific offense. He had 420 yards, three touchdowns. And Jack Plummer at Purdue. So he's uh, moved into starting quarterback there. I don't believe he was starting the – there at the start of the year that's correct he's in, no he's in he's filling in there now so they had a really good result over maryland yes maryland disappointing but purdue got the job done he went for 420 himself and three touchdowns which is awesome uh the quarterback at navy did not do a lot of passing the ball but he did run 20 times for 218 yards in their big victory over tulsa he also had three touchdowns uh, Lynn Bowden Jr. at Kentucky had a, a monster day, 24 catches, uh, sorry, 24 rushes, 196 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, and then we also have Tony Jones, who you mentioned, Notre Dame, 25 carries, 176 yards, helmet sticker for you. And CJ Vidal, who I think is a bit of an underrated running back out of Oregon. Uh, he was just insane, 14 touches, 171 yards, that's 12 yards every time he carried the ball. Why do anything else? Weapon. Uh, Uh, Catching the ball. Sorry, I've got a few receivers to hit. So Warren Jackson at Colorado State was catching all the balls from Patrick O'Brien. He had 214 yards and two touchdowns. (laughs) Uh, Quez Watkins at uh, Southern Mississippi had 198 yards and a touchdown. Sage Surratt at Wake Forest, is having a really, really good year, actually. I think he's one to watch out for. So he did everything he could to prevent them from being upset by Louisville, but it wasn't enough. And by everything, he had 12 catches, 196 yards, and three touchdowns. That's a fair effort. Uh, Brandon Ayuk at Arizona State had uh, a really, really good game. I watched that one. Seven catches, 196 yards, and another three touchdowns. Uh, and then C.D. Lamb, obviously, 10 catches, 171, three touchdowns, big rivalry game. He gets a big fuck-off sticker. Can we just retire him as well? Like, I feel like there's some dudes we just need to just put on ice. C.D. Lamb, probably Devonta Smith as well. It's just like you're filling that helmet up. No, I, I am going to continue to pump them up as long as these boys keep going off. Okay. I got a couple of guys for me. Um. On the defensive side of things, so when the game was on the line and he probably didn't fill up the stat sheet, I mean, he had a good game anyway, but Kenneth Murray for that Oklahoma defense as at that linebacker position was getting pressure on quarterbacks. He goes sideline to sideline. He is super fast, um, was cutting off Sam Ellinger from bad angles, bad positions, and just beating him to the corner. Uh, So he was really, really impressive. I've got one for him. The other one would be, and excuse me when I get this wrong, Israel Mukuamu for South Carolina, who had three picks, one of which was a pick six, and 11 tackles for the big cocks. And, uh, you know, he certainly had a massive part in getting them across the line against the number three team in the nation. Man, he would have had a big night when they got back into South Carolina. (laughs) Okay, Aussies in action. We'll take us through the punting game for the boys from our neck of the woods. Okay, so another really, really good week. We now have six dudes in the top 11 of the country uh, ranked. So that's a huge effort. Max Duffy, again, stays at number one. He's by far the best still, although Braden Mann is making a late charge now. He's finally kind of got himself off the cans and decided it might be time to start kicking the ball. Uh, We also have Oscar Bradburn, Bailey Flint, 
who has been in for uh, an operation I've seen on the socials uh, this week. So hopefully he's all good. I noticed he didn't play on the weekend. was a bit worried about what happened there. Don't have the inside goss, but hope there's a quick recovery there. Uh, Tyson Dyer and Reese Burns round out our top 11 lads. This week specifically, we had Dane Roy, who had a huge game. Uh, he had four punts at an average of 54 yards. So that's huge. Uh, Reese Burns who I mentioned earlier, had six punts and an average of 49, which is elite. Uh, the player of the week from college football down under is Trent Schneider. So he, what I like to see is boys getting involved, passing, running, or having an impact <laughs> and winning, winning the game for your team. And in a tight matchup against BYU, they got out on top 27-23, and he had five punts at an average of nearly 53 yards. That's game-changing. That's enough. I see it that worth at least four points he is our player of the week uh, other dudes to have really successful uh, games but be on the wrong side of a lot of results uh, Adam Corsack at Rutgers he had 10 punts and 47 yard average which was really good but they got kind of smoked by Indiana uh, Luke Magliozzi at Connecticut eight punts for 43 yards Lucas Dean at the University of Texas San Antonio uh, in their losing effort, five punts at 43.8. Uh, and Josh Groden at West Virginia was also uh, quite good too. He had his best outing on the year, six punts at nearly 44 yards on average. There you go. All right, good hmm. day by the Aussies in action and probably having a better year on average than last year. I would say. Yeah, I would say. So looking at the numbers, uh, the, the fact that we've got so many right at the top, uh, we're coming in at 1, 4, 6, 8, 9, and 11 is really, really incredible stuff. Keep working there, boys, and we'll continue to take over punting in NCAA football. Okay, bold prediction time. Uh, now I'll get through this really quick because I went sort of close. I had There were 12 undefeated teams playing this week. I was hoping that – well, I wasn't hoping that, but I predicted that six would lose – Four of them did, Georgia, Florida, Memphis, and Wake Forest, but I did not get across the line. I needed two more. I didn't get there, so I fell short again. Yeah, and you also tried to pull a little Swifty on me and the listeners here, which I'm not super keen on. So there were 16 undefeated teams going into this week. Uh, 14 of them played on the weekend, and Who did they I went to combined 10 and 4. I can't remember. I didn't listen back, but when I was kind of trying to look at this, I was like, no, you've got your fucking wrong here, mate. You are trying some dodgy ass shit. I know we've been on a bit of a uh, dry spell in terms of nailing these bold predictions, but that's just cheeky. Ugh. And even with your little cheating, it's your little Hansi Cronyering, it didn't get up. Uh, <laughs> Fell short. That's two, two Hansi references in the one episode. Brilliant. <laughs> But thankfully, whilst all of our kind of uh, credibility might be flying out the window in some of your unscrupulous dealings here, oh, I was able to get one on the board. Hey, what? I can't ding, remember ding, what you're doing. I said that this week we would have only one team from the ACC ranked in the AP poll. So oh. I was relying on Wake Forest to lose to Louisville and Virginia to lose to Miami, and then both of those teams to get booted out as well, and all of that happened. So we now only have Clemson in the AP poll, and I have correctly predicted something in a bold manner. Nothing well, yeah, bold-ish. Like I'm sick of this. <laughs> don't be because it's about to get worse. Like If we're thinking on a scale of like zero to Elton John in terms of boldness, you're like about a four on that prediction. Now, it still it, gets it, it on pays, there. It pays, like from an odd standpoint, it paid five to one. So, I, like for me, anything that is not the favorite is relatively bold. Oh. If I'm if I'm saying like double that, I would be talking four to one, right? So, that that's, 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 that's out argument. there. I'm winning this argument. I can tell already. Let's push on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you might be trying to you, – you might not understand this, the concept of the segment. Maybe we need to have a bit of a development session now you're back in the country. We'll get the whiteboard out and take a few, a few things. But the, what we will lead that session with is the fact that I have one on the board this year and you have not really got close, okay. even that is, cheating. That is fair. So all time, we're one all. 
Uh, I think what were the there were some season one long ones last year that I might have done all right with. We'll have to check the tapes. Okay. Not that you're big on that. Well, let's move to on the punt somewhere where you are far less successful. Yeah. Do we have to move there? (laughs) Let's just – I'll cut and paste this segment from last week's episode and slide it in here. So I have uh, three bets down and then a multi on one of them. Um, I had Arizona State and Washington State. I had Washington State to get that. They went up late. Uh, I knew when they only kicked a field goal there and there was two minutes left and they had to rely on their defense that I was fucked. So (laughs) I dropped that one, which was disappointing. Uh, So I had Iowa State to cover the 10 points at West Virginia. That one came to be. It was looking pretty tight to begin with. They gave up a pick six, which is never good when you are given points but they managed to cruise home in the end and, and really dominated that one. But then I took Arizona uh, plus six against Washington, which was good because it was a late game and I was able to watch it. And it was relatively tight the first half, but then watching the second half, I thought, what the fuck have I done here? <laughs> Arizona are nowhere near as good as Washington, and, and that's what showed out. The Washington just cruised to victory in that one, so that was a bad bet. Uh, the end result has us down another 4.3 for a sum total of negative 18.8 on the year jesus christ it's almost time to just pull the pin on this whole betting thing completely anyway that- no i need jesus around because he can turn water to wine and that's the only way i can afford to drink it <laughs> okay well that brings us to the end of this week seven recap now of course we've got week eight previews coming later in the week we've got a mid-season review nothing too exciting just as a quick glance at week eight uh if you've got anything to do this weekend like if you're building a veggie patch or something maybe this is the time to do that if you want to take the kids to the playground this would be time to do that if you want to get super wasted and not come home till six in the morning this is probably the week to do that uh, yeah i mean one of uh, the, the couple of those things are probably on the cards for me but who knows which ones you know <laughs> won't be the super two one. of those three you're old as fuck now dude all right uh that brings us to the end of week seven recap uh we hope you've enjoyed it please make sure that you do do all those usual things that i said at the top of the show leave a review tell your friends be good humans um and do nice things also get involved with college football down under on instagram and on twitter as well on behalf of that guy over there in the adelaide hills for myself on the plains my name is aaron that is will and we will see you next time